This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today is a second part of our two-part series with Darren Whitaker, an international trade expert with more than 20 years of experience and the founder of Network Global Solutions. In this episode, Darren breaks down when and how the Modern Slavery Act could impact your business. He also shares what goes on behind the scenes in a factory audit. And Darren shares a success story from a client who recently decided to perform factory audits and how it changed their business for the better. Let's jump in. So the rules are that you're an Australian company turning over more than 100 mil, New South Wales 50 million, and you import product from overseas. Is it anywhere from overseas? Is it any factory, whether it's in Australia or China, wherever it is? Is that how it works? It's any Australian business. Any so Australian you, business. You don't even have to have offshore operations. Yep. Just a little um, fun fact. For this. It's <laughs> estimated there's at least 15,000 people in Australia being employed in conditions worse than the modern slavery act. Oh, wow. Okay. With all the rules that we have, that's really scary. That's a big number. So you're a big business or biggish business in terms of turnover and you need to now follow the Modern Slavery Act and do these things. You mentioned that you have control over the factories and that's what I wanted to talk about. So I turn over 200 mil, I import office furniture and I use two factories in China. How much power do I have? They're a separate business. They probably have their own directors. That business might be 100 times the size of mine. You go out, do the audit, and then the audit comes back with all these things that this factory needs to do. How, what influence other than pulling the product from them do I have for them to make change? So a little bit confused or a little bit more clarity around how that would work. Can you give us sort of an insight in what we would need to do if we find a factory that we're working with needs to make some improvements? It depends on the level of non-compliance so on our typical audit there's three levels of non-compliance there's critical non-compliance major non-compliance and minor now critical is something we need fixed straight away it's things that are quite bad you know there's inherent risk to employees or the conditions are pretty terrible yeah major and minor are things like we had one recently where the factory was doing everything right on the factory floor first aid kits everywhere no first aid kits in the um, dormitories where the staff live now, I'm sure I've lived 20 years of my life without a first aid kit in the house. <laughs> so it's not something that you, you would think of when you think of the Modern Slavery Act, but based on the laws in that province in China, it's law to have first aid kits for employees in a dormitory. So for a couple hundred bucks, that makes them compliant in that area. And is the Modern Slavery Act designed based on what we define and the rules that Australia defines it as? Or when you're out in China and the audit's done, is it you just mentioned their rules and they need to have the first aid. Is it based on their view of the world and what 
modern slavery or doing the right thing for their people is, is, or is there a crossover in borders of what we believe is right and what they believe is right? So what laws are you trying to tick off on? The Modern Slavery Act itself, Australia's adopted what was recommended internationally. And a lot of countries have. Some have made their own amendments and whatnot. But the Australian one is based on the internationally recognised one. Okay, so it's global. So it is, it's not Australia rocking up to China and saying, hey, we've well, got to do this. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're the only one that's ever requested it. It is an internationally aligned thing that's happening everywhere. Yeah, and the audits that we use for Azola are based on international framework of an ethical audit and environmental audit. And we have additional elements to that audit, such as verifying that a product is manufactured there. So we can't just have someone send us to a random factory and say, yeah, this is where we have our product made and because they know they've got really good processes, but they don't actually make it. So we go through a process. We're looking for an existing production run. We're looking for tools and molds. We're looking for prototypes, things like that. And the orders are quite skilled in reviewing the factory to see if they are capable of manufacturing that product. That cost is at the customer level. So it's an Australian company that has to get these audits done. Let's say the factory has had seven auditors rocking up to the factory and they've had seven people ask these questions. Once um, the report's done, can't the factory get its own report to then say, look, we've done a report, you can take our report and you don't need to worry about it? So. How does that work or do they have to, each supplier have to continually do that? A lot of them have their own accreditation and there's auditors, but they are used to having auditors in and out all the time. Pre-shipment inspections, pre-qualification audit, different clients or purchasers, customers have their own requirements. So the benefit ours is it's been designed to have as minimum impact to that business as possible. We get in and out in one day and depending on the size of the factory, but 95% would be in and out in one day. And in your opinion, have you seen or from your experience an improvement globally? Are we making a change? Is it is it a lot of, you know, lining a lot of people? I mean, you obviously have to do this as a service, but a lot of people making money out of this or are we actually fixing this? Are, is there, a, are there stats that slavery is coming down? Are we actually having some improvement? I think where the biggest impact is in consumer decision and that is incredibly powerful. When we look at Azola from a marketing perspective, it's those who need it and those who want it. And those that need it are in the Modern Slavery Act. They're turning over $100 million. Those that want it are businesses that are socially conscious or they're going to get more sales from it. You know, with statistics that 85% of consumers want retail, retailers and brands to be more transparent about their sustainability of their products. Nine out of 10 consumers are more likely to purchase an ethical or sustainable product. But the numbers add up, particularly if you're in, say, apparel or industries that are exposed to more likely modern slavery, like cotton and whatnot, you're going to be dead in the water in a few years unless you have an ethical element. If you're not proving to your customers, and the customers are becoming incredibly more savvy and incredibly more interested in the origins of product. That's a great response. And I think it's great that as humans, we're tackling this problem and we've found small solutions to help. And it's great that consumers are aware and so on. So it's great to hear. And I want to talk about the anti-dumping because I just heard that for the first time. But before we get to that, what about the environment? Because Azola certified, from my understanding, there's a slavery side of it and there's obviously the environmental side. Can you talk us a little bit about what reports or requirements are required from an environmental side? Or is that just a good to have, but not a requirement? 
Well, it depends on the business. Obviously, ESG has come to the forefront. So this is a, a great, similar to Mon Slayer. This is your coal face. This is your frontline credibility to your ESG or your Mon Slayer statement. This is the one we're actually going to the factory. We're, we're not looking at statistics and graphs and planting a few trees. hundred trees on the other side of the planet and feeling good about ourselves. We're actually going in there and making tangible change. So this is the difference between the alternatives out there. What does ESG stand for for those that don't know us? Environmental, social and governance. Okay. All right, cool. So anti-dumping, this aluminium anti-dumping, what's the risk and the charges for that? How does that work? There's a big aluminium industry in Australia and they're probably very good at lobbying politicians and whatnot. (laughs) If you were to bring in, say, just aluminium ingots, there'd be a significant impact to the Australian market is the theory behind it. So depending on how much value has been added to that and how much manufacturing processes, they can be under anti-dumping. And from memory, I think the highest amount of anti-dumping tax you can pay is up to about 47%. So there's a registry where each overseas factory can go through a process with the Australian government and reduce that. And there's a handful of them that are at zero. And it's providing that they have sourced their materials in a manner so it's not like there's leftover materials and they've got that so their costs are incredibly low and they can spit out this product incredibly low. So there's projects out there that might use half a billion tonnes of material and there's 20 million tonnes left over and these guys get it at half price. It comes in and it ruins an industry. That's the reason for it. Okay. Now, I'll give you an example. There's a, a factory that I know quite well in Malaysia that do aluminium. They are on the registry and they are at 0%. So if you buy from them and you go, they go through all the documents and you present them through importation to Australian Border Force, Australian Customs, sorry, and they'll not charge you anti-dumping. You still get your duties and GSTs and whatnot, but the anti-dumping won't be charged. Give you an idea, the level of compliance, I'm talking to the owner of that factory, he had two full-time employees providing information to the government for six months. Wow. So that's the cost for them to be zero for the Australian market. And that would benefit them because the consumer or the customer or the client here in Australia doesn't have to pay that tax because they're sourcing from a company that has 0% dumping. Okay. Correct. Wow. Okay, that's really good to know. Learn something new every day, Darren. So it's always exciting on our podcast. So just from an Azola perspective, so NGS is certified to do these reports. Take us through the journey. You talked about auditors going to factories, coming in and out. Sounds like an awesome service that you're offering to your clients. Take us a little bit about the value proposition. How do you engage clients? You mentioned big four. How do you compete with the big four? What do you charge for these things? Just give us a little bit of a pitch of what it looks like from our consumers in Australia. Firstly, the reasons why our clients would need Azola, one is to build trust with their customers, to give them some frontline evidence that they're doing the right thing, reduce liability to the company directors. The scope for penalty with the Modern Slavery Act is significantly high. You're looking at up to 25 years imprisonment for the board of directors and $1.3 million in fine. You'd have to be doing something pretty ordinary like human traffic or something (laughs) to, to get that, but it gives you an idea of the scope. And very little of that has been tried. So the common belief in the industry that the first few people that are found to be doing something wrong are going to be made an example of. So as much as there's fear, it's just ticking a box and say we've done the right thing. So 
The Modern Slavery Act is typically signed by two directors of the company but needs to be approved at board level. So you approve it at board level and two directors sign off on it. Again, adding the frontline tangible evidence to your modern slavery statement and your ESG diligence. And the fourth reason is increased sales because the points we touched on earlier where the consumers are becoming much more savvy. What I wanted to do next was to maybe go through an example of a journey of a client that you've worked with in relation to an audit and and a bit of a success story if you want to share that with us around how an existing client or a client you're a, you've just won and then take us through the journey of what that looks like. The most recent one that was quite a success story is Quadlock. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a phone case with a really cool um, patented attachment. So you buy the phone case and then you buy the attachment. So one for the car, one for the golf bag. Ah, okay. That's sort of the, the phone sticks to something and then you don't have to touch it hands-free kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's a magnetic option you can have and then a clipping option. Like they made it in the US, they're all over Australia. They've got great ambassadors like Oscar Piastri, the latest um, Formula One driver. Oh, wow. They're in Dakar Rally. So the product's fantastic. It's really great. They've had exceptional growth. I don't know if they've been around six or eight years or so. They've just turned over 100 million. So they've gone into that bracket and they're like, we need to do something. You know, they've always taken a, a cautious eye on their factory, make sure they're doing the right thing. But now that they needed that tangible evidence, I sat down, presented to their team at, in their boardroom and we went through it and they made the decision five minutes after I walked out the door. So they saw that they needed it. They see the value in all their customers and potential customers seeing a logo on their brand, on their boxes, on their website, and they can see the value from it. So how long will that take? So if you finish that engagement, so they've engaged you and you're going to now go and do audits. Just out of curiosity, will there be multiple factories that you're going to have to do an audit on and um, how long will that take? If the factory's got availability quite soon, we can go through the whole process in two to three weeks. That is awesome. Yeah. So we put it onto our, our third-party ISO accredited orders in the in the um, country of, the, of origin of the factory. They communicate with the factory and, and arrange an audit. We get the audit report within 24 to 48 hours. NGS Azola goes through that audit and creates some call to actions for our client. So they get the original audit, which is typically 45, 50 pages, fully detailed. They also get our guidance and they have to sign a declaration that they agree to the ongoing commitment to improve and to follow that guidance and agree that in 12 months' time, we'll renew and we'll send an order out again to make sure those Change has been made, see if the factory may have located. We may have to go through a lot of this process again. They might have to look at their HR policies or OH&S policies and go through that process every 12 months. So it is a 12-month thing. So it is yeah. once you start, once you click over the turnover, you are required to do this on a 12-month basis. It obviously gets easier and easier, but it is an annual audit. Well, for, for Quadlock, the turnover amount was very much the trigger. Yeah. But... This is a product that is very accessible for all businesses that are important. Just out of curiosity, if you'd like to share publicly around your pricing, do you price it based on a fixed price? Is it, this sounds like a big client, a lot of work. What, what are your charges or what are the sort of expected costs for someone to get an Azola certified? Just give us a bit of a guideline if you're willing to share. The only variable for us from a cost perspective is the cost of the audit and that varies geographically. So different countries have got different costs for the same audit. Just the cost of the order is greater in different places and less in others. If it's an incredibly remote place, we might have to 
pay for travel and, and the time for their travel. But typically it's done in mandates. So it's one mandate for an ethical, one mandate for a environmental. For the entire process, including our guidance, the use of all our trademarks and to sign off on the licensing agreement, if you were to get, say, just the ethical in a popular region in, say, China, it's $2,990, including GST. Well, that's actually really, really competitive. Yeah, that's really good. That's not, it's not – I was expecting a higher number. Maybe you, need to, <laughs> maybe you need to up your pricing on that. I would have thought it would be much, much more because the value you provide for me to be able to, with no experience, to go and do that, you know, I feel like that's a really competitive price. So I commend you on that and that probably hopefully helps, you know, the ones that haven't gone over the required threshold to look into this and, and to promote that what they're doing is ethical and the product is of good quality but follows a, a slavery act even though they don't have to comply. So that's awesome. If they were to get both audits, it would be 5499 and then a lot of our clients have multiple factories, so it can scale down there and we discuss with yeah. some cost saving further from there. But the same audit, say, in Japan could be six or 7,000. So it does vary, but 90-plus percent of it's happening in cheaper areas for a reason. That's where the cheaper labour is, so China, Vietnam. And in terms of the certification, you mentioned that briefly just then. So I get my tick of approval, get my certified. So is there a sort of this logo that I can now put on my product that says that it's it's environmental and it's anti-slavery and all that kind of stuff? So what's that about? So the client, as we said, they receive the audit. They see, receive our guidance based on that audit. They sign off on a director's statement, similar to what they would for the Modern Slavery Act, and they sign off on a licensing agreement. So obviously we need to protect the Azola certified name and logo and that is the mark that specifies the manufacturing of this product has gone through this process. So they get use of our digital assets for the next 12 months under that licensing agreement. Okay. And is Azola a global enterprise or is that a well-known? I mean, my clients, are, you know, they don't have too many clients in this space. So how well-known is it? And can you talk about sort of the brand Azola and, and what it means to the, in the global sense? That's the trajectory we're taking. So it's been launched in Australia. A lot of global brands do trial their product in Australia because we're typically known as one of the most difficult markets. Yeah. A lot of land and not many people, but the plan to go that route and expand globally. That is fantastic. Look, we've run out of time. You've really educated us on what you know we can do as business owners to improve the world. And I want to thank you for your time and I wish you all the best with your business, NGS and its core product, but all obviously what you're doing here around Azola and Anti-Slavery Act and assisting our Australian companies to be more compliant and follow those ethical way of doing business. So I want to thank you so much, Darren, for coming on the show and I wish you all the best in the future. Thanks so much for having me. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. 
I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's the bottom line.